0: This is the Real Estate Addicts Podcast, episode 38, with your hosts, Ray Hurto, HRV Homes. Dan Rubin, HRV Homes. Mark
1: Savatsky, Choose Boston. And we are joined today by.
2: Julian McMullen from Dale Carnegie Training.
1: Is it Julian?
2: Juline, yes.
1: Like Juline, Julian. That's Jolene. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs>
2: I'm uh, Juline with a U.
1: I was going to ask you if you like Dolly Parton.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that a few times over yeah. the course of my life. <laughs> that's funny.
0: How many people have said Julian right or left?
2: Uh, uh no, never. No. actually, yeah, never. Uh-huh. Dad, dad
0: jokes. Dad jokes. Joke. <laughs> yeah, that,
2: that, that's kind of like a Reader's Digest dad's joke. Yeah.
1: My trainer at Orange Theory. He's like six foot ten, and he starts every class. He goes, "Name's Lee, six foot ten. No basketball. Let's do it." It's just like <laughs> one of these things, like.
0: Julian showed up to the uh, studio and I thought it was Mark, and I uh, heard the buzzer go off, so I answered the door, yo. <laughs> and I was like, this is probably not a good way to uh, introduce myself, so sorry about that. <laughs> hey,
1: no problem. So, presentation skills and speaking. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: so why are we here?
1: Can you give us a little bit about the Dale Carnegie Institute and your role there and maybe some on your background?
2: Sure, absolutely. So, um, Dale Carnegie is a global organization. We support training and development um, for organizations across the globe. So. Essentially, our areas of expertise for the past 107 years has been around leadership, presentation skills, and public speaking, as well as really honing in on people's ability to get along with people. How to win friends and influence people—you may have heard of the book that Dale Carnegie wrote many, many years ago—and that was really the foundation of our business. So we still align ourselves with that book and his principles. And as a result of that, we work with companies to be able to really work on the soft skills of their people. My job is I am the director of client strategy for the company here in Boston, and I am a master trainer for the company as well. So that means that I support uh, organizations that work with us that have global reach that are headquartered here out of the Boston area. And I also do a lot of the training that we do for those organizations. And I also train other trainers within Dale Carnegie.
1: Terrific. Well, we're really excited to have you join us today.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. And
1: this is a topic that uh, I care we care a lot about. Mm-hmm. I mean, as developers, a lot of our success or failure is uh, at the very beginning, the outset of a project, there's a number of community meetings and presentations and telling our story. And so I'd love to learn how to be better at that.
3: Well, and it's not only just, it's presenting to a, a wide range of people mm-hmm. all the way from Butters to you know elected officials, officials. so you know, kind of making sure that we're communicating appropriately to the right audience is
0: also important as well. And and even going beyond that, if you think about real estate holistically, you're pitching projects to lenders, you're selling your product, whether it's a development or a rental. So everything in real estate is communication. Yeah, Yeah. everything is communication. So this is. Very, very important to talk about.
1: Yeah. And so first question is um, can this be taught or is this something that you need to be born with?
2: Yeah. Mm. Um if it was something we'd be born with, um our company would probably be out of business. <laughs> so uh no so it it is absolutely absolutely something that can be taught. I mean, um you know, we we all have the opportunity to improve in this area. And one thing, you know, it, it's really interesting because this is, as you said, a really important skill, and it really is career and business defining. Because if you think about all the ways in which we need to communicate, present ideas, sell ideas, gain people's buy-in, that all entails us really being able to project that in the way that we're talking about it, in the way that we're presenting it. So it absolutely can be taught. And it's also a very individual process. You know, one of the biggest mistakes that we see is that people who are, you know, trying to improve their presentation skills is they try to imitate other people that they think are really good. And that's a, that's a huge mistake because we're all individuals. And for example, you know, if I'm I'm trying to emulate somebody who's really funny and uses a lot of humor and I, that's not doesn't come naturally to me, then we've all seen that happen. It's like, it's going to bomb.
1: Mm-hmm. Dead right? joke. Go yeah, swap. exactly, dad, dad jokes. jokes, right, right.
2: Jokes. So we really have to be authentic to ourselves and have our own style and develop our own style. And that can absolutely be taught. Yes. Yeah,
0: there's nothing worse than, I don't know, just seeing somebody and they and you know, they're just either putting on a show or they just come across as fake and not yeah. genuine. So hundred percent. Is it true? I, I read somewhere, I don't remember exactly the source, but how, how many seconds into meeting somebody do we, in the back of our mind, subconsciously, make a judgment about that other person, whether or not we like them or not like them?
2: Yeah, that's, um, that's a really good question because, you know, we used to say that you had um, three minutes but in our immediate gratification society, where we're all looking at our phones and we have, we have you know instant gratification, right now it's about 15 to 20 seconds. So we have a very limited time frame and opportunity to make that impact and have people really say, hey, listen, I'm going to listen to this person or not. And I'm going to make that judgment pretty immediately based on a number of factors. And unless you, unless you pull me in immediately, I'm gone.
3: It's basically you have a fifteen to twenty second elevator pitch to somebody before they make a judgment call on you.
1: Any tips on what you should do with that very valuable time? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely.
2: (laughs) And and you know part of it is you know if you think about um, let's let's talk. There's a number of different circumstances that we're in, right? So number one is like say a a more formal presentation. You know you talked about communicating or presenting to communities or at meetings, right? So oftentimes you know what? How do we hear people uh, start those things? It's like hi, my name is so-and-so and and I'm here to talk about. That's pretty standard. Honestly, it's pretty boring and you're not going to capture the attention of somebody immediately. So we really want, in those situations, we really want to draw people in with something that is going to gain their attention, whether it's a, you know, statistic or startling fact about what you're going to talk about, posing a question to get them thinking about the context of what your talk or presentation is going to be about. And the other thing is, you know, creating that enthusiasm for the topic. And that's really in the way that we come across. So that has to do with our body language, our voice tone, the way that we're presenting ourselves. And the reality is people are making those judgments. I mean, people can make judgments before we even open up our mouth.
1: What do you think of us? Right. So... (laughs) I thought the Dolly Parton song was excellent.
2: <laughs> until, <laughs> until
0: you, you spelled her name wrong. Damn it.
2: <laughs>
0: we like to have fun here. We like to have fun. No, <laughs> absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully you like us. <laughs> and
2: you know what? And that's that's so important because if if people are having fun, you go in, you have, you're building a great rapport with a potential client. You're building rapport with a team member, whoever it might be. That really helps to get yourself started on the right foot.
1: Love it. So we kick off the presentation. We know some things to do. Let's talk about structuring the presentation. We've all heard PowerPoint coma a lot.
2: What? Death by PowerPoint. Death yeah. by PowerPoint.
0: Uh, there's nothing. Oh my God! At our last company, there's like a PowerPoint that had two point font. You couldn't read everything, and yeah, just I hate PowerPoint so much. Less well, is more.
3: What I, are some I tips?
2: So, you know, you know, you're in for it when somebody says, can you dim the lights, please? Ooh. And then they uh, they put up, you know, 50 slides for a 20-minute presentation. Well, so here's some best practices. So, number one, you know, to your point, absolutely, less is more. Okay, and so some, you know, a couple things that we always advise our customers to do, and a lot of, we do a lot of um, executive coaching when it comes to presentations. So, really high-stakes presentations is, number one, if you think about a best practice in terms of number of slides that's that's oftentimes most violated which is say you have a 20 minute presentation you want to you want to be showing your audience five slides okay and also part of that is we have to think about the retention value so you know people if you think about it our mind wanders every 90 seconds i personally think it's less <laughs> right So think about what you're up against. People are thinking about other things, what they've got, you know, what emails they have coming in, what they're going to do that night after work, whatever it might be. So we want to make sure that we're engaging them with um, no more than five slides per 20 minutes.
3: So it's basically five minutes per slide.
2: Yeah, exactly right. math, Dan. Right. I I
3: try. Exactly. It took me a while to calculate.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And, And the other thing is, you know, we oftentimes in our business use a lot of graphs and charts which really helps uh, different kinds of learners to engage with us. But we got to remember about that is we cannot possibly put up a graphic that is so hard to decipher that now the folks that we're talking to are spending a significant amount of time trying to decipher what we're trying to say. So basically what we want to do is, you know, if if we have to show some sort of variance and say a pie chart, let's use three colors or or shading of specific colors. So that way it really illustrates that variance in a very clear way. And our audience is not trying to decipher, say, a color key or something of that nature. The other is more pictures, less words, right? So the more we can illustrate with pictures, the better off we are. Oftentimes we see slides that are really complicated with lots of words. And now we're trying to read it and now the audience is reading the slide, they're not paying attention to you. And that's our goal, right? You're the message. Otherwise, we could have sent an email with, we could send an email with the PowerPoint and not showed up. Okay. So it's also another best practice is what we like to call the six by six rule, right? So six words per line, six lines per screen. So that way your audience will be able to absorb that within 10 seconds. And that's really our goal. Can our audience members or whoever we're talking to look up at that slide, absorb it in 10 seconds, and then refocus their attention right back on you, who is really leading the discussion?
3: I've seen a number of times I've seen developers in front of a room going through their presentation and they'll put a slide up with like a list of all of their variances and like the the section number within the code. And it's just like, it's, people are trying yeah. to like read it and decipher it. And it's mm-hmm. like, it just doesn't work.
2: No, it doesn't work. And the other thing is that, you know, if that amount of detail is necessary for folks that you're talking to, to know, that's supplemental information that you can send them, you know, after the presentation. So if they need to, if they need to dig in deep into it, they can do it then. It's not the time to do it in front of, you know, a a larger, you know, a larger meeting or a larger group, Mm. because oftentimes Most people that are not interested in that level of detail, you know, what, you know, what's in it for me, that's what they want to know. Give me the information. What Mm -hmm. do you want me to do? And so that way we can have a supplemental deck that we can send them after the presentation so they can dig in deeper if necessary.
1: So I really like the idea of using stories to communicate. I think that people think in terms of stories and it sticks with people I make a lot of analogies. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you expound on that a little bit and how you can use that to enhance your, your presentation?
2: Absolutely, storytelling is critical because uh, storytelling creates more relatability with the topic and more relatable to you, and more relatability to you. So, um, you know, people also remember stories. Um, if you think about it, you will more likely go home and tell a family member or a friend a story that you heard than, hey, listen to the 10 facts I heard today <laughs> at work at this presentation. Right. Right. No, you're going to say, hey, I heard this I heard this great story from my colleague today, and you'll be able to recount it because that's, that's how our mind works. We remember things that we can attach ourselves to, we have an emotional connection to, or that we can emotionally react to. So even in, you know, a question that, is often asked when, because we work with a lot of highly technical people at Dale Carnegie, a lot of engineers, um, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, scientists. And they have, a you know, they're trying to gain buy-in into these really highly technical subjects, which is really important. But also you've got to tell this like a story. We have to see what has been the process behind this. Um, how can you, how can I relate this to me? how is this going to relate to, say, the end user who's going to be eventually using your product or your service or seeing the result of the work that you're doing? Create that so I can visualize it. We're visual thinkers as human beings. How can I visualize that so that way now it's going to be more memorable? And that's that's really critical.
0: Yeah. A lot of what we do at the community level is negotiation or just actively listening and trying to understand what are the pain points because in our industry, construction is is noisy, it's disruptive, nobody really likes it, but they know that at some point everything has an end-of-life use and has to be replaced. How do you either manage that with somebody or, in some cases, de-escalate people's fears of mm-hmm. the process?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, in a lot of ways, it really is tuning into those people's needs, right? So first of all, number one, if you're doing your due diligence in preparation, you think about who's my audience, who's going to be there, right? Most of the time we can think about any biases that may exist before we go in, right? Any foreseeable uh, complaints that they might have before you even get to the presentation or get to that meeting and prepare for it but also to address it at the get-go. Don't hide from it. Don't pretend like it's not going to happen. Don't sugarcoat it. And don't wait for somebody to ask a question about it. If you know this is going to be, say, a community concern, incorporate it into the messaging. Incorporate it in your preparation when you're preparing to talk about the topic and address it head-on. Don't hide from it. Because oftentimes, you know, if we know that that's going to be an issue— Identify with the audience and say, hey, listen, I know this is going to be an issue for you. I know that you're worried about the noise. I know that you're worried about the length of time that we're going to make create a disruption potentially in your neighborhood or in the, or, you know, in your workplace. And so addressing it head on shows that you've thought about it, that you care, and that now at least we're at a place where we're starting from an even playing field where I've addressed your concerns. And now I want to hear from you about what more can we do. To address those concerns
1: yeah that's great I mean a practical example we'll come up with is uh, you know uh there you have less than a one-to-one parking ratio mm-hmm. but you may be close to a to a t-stop or a bus stop and so some some in the community I've, I've heard from have suggested that we need more parking but I'd offer and just don't wait for that question at the end
2: yeah exactly right so anticipate yeah. what their needs might be mm-hmm. sure
1: how do we think more clearly and communicate more clearly. Sometimes I feel like we don't even know where our sentence or our thought is going when we begin to speak.
3: Or how do you stop yourself from rambling?
2: Yeah. Okay. So uh, there's a number of things here. First um, First is preparation. Okay. So if we are prepared and schooled, then there's less of that. And that is also preparation in delivery. Okay. So most of us spend our time preparing what? The slides, the slides, right? The slides, the content, okay? And we don't necessarily practice the delivery of it. And so what happens is we, um, you know, maybe we go through our notes, we take a look at our slides, we have an outline. We don't actually hear it out loud. So we have this false sense of security that we know what it's going to sound like when we open our mouth. And then all of a sudden we open our mouth and we're like, wow, this sounds pretty <laughs> different than it does in my head or looks oh. on my index card here on my outline. And so part of that is if we hear it out loud, even if it's just, you know, on the way there in our car, or whatever it is, and it's just the way we're going to open, um, that really gives us more confidence to be able to, you know, start with confidence, had that opportunity to practice, hear it out loud, ideally in front of other people who can give you some feedback. And then we've heard it before. So that's number one. Number two is when we start to go off course, because sometimes we are, maybe if it's a question we're going down, we're, we're getting deep into the details, right? Which is we really need to pause. And we have this, we, as human beings, we have this sense that we need to fill the air. And we don't. You know, the people we're talking to would rather have a well-thought-out response and a well-thought-out point than for you to just keep rambling on until you get somewhere. And so one of the best practices that we talk about is, you know, pause for three to five seconds, gather your thoughts, and then proceed. And don't apologize to your audience. Hey, I'm sorry, you know, I got off a little off topic there. Or, hey, I forgot what I was going to say. I forgot to mention. Does your audience know that?
0: You're almost calling out your own mistakes and people may not even notice. Yeah.
2: Right, so we we want we don't want to draw negative attention to ourselves, and the fact is, we're human beings. If we need to pause and regain our thought process, that's okay. That's that's really thinking about the audience and thinking about who we're talking to, so that way we're we're more thoughtful in the way that we're addressing them.
0: So practice, prepare. Don't worry about the ums, ers, ahs. Mm-hmm. Practice out loud, making noise, just to make noise. Right. Hmm.
2: You got it. And part of that too is um, if we're practicing the delivery and uh, we get some feedback uh even you know if you want to take it a step further we all have phones with videos on them video mm-hmm. cameras pra- take a look at what you look like what you sound like that'll give you a very realistic view as to what how you sound and what you look like and that way you can you you really have an understanding of self-evaluation at some point so that way you can that's a continuous way to keep practicing to evaluate how you're doing
1: yeah, it's like when I used to be an athlete and we used to do video review of our games.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's the same thing. Yep. It is.
1: No. Can we talk about uh, hand gestures and your presence in the room and, and ways that you can make sure that you're adding to your clarity and not distracting from the message?
2: Yes. So a few things. Number one is some, sometimes we get into what we like to call presenter mode. Right, So we perhaps, you know, we're there, we're having a good time, we're chatting with people. Now it's this opportunity for us to get up and present or it's now our time to talk. And all of a sudden we become like monotone, we lose our energy and we don't use our hands. There is not one single person who has a one-on-one conversation that does not use conversational hand gestures. Okay, And so we have this tendency to clasp our hands in front of us or behind our back Or what we like to call like the spider, you know, we put our hands up in front and we, you know, we've got our our fingers latched together. Uh. It's a totally unnatural stance. It's a totally unnatural stance. We don't do that in one-on-one conversation. So the mindset would be, so this is just a one-on-one conversation with a larger group. So we need to be using our gestures, Mm -hmm. number one. And really open gestures, open body language, because it really shows that you're more open open and welcoming to the audience. When we close our gestures, it also sacrifices our posture. So our shoulders kind of um fold in and we don't have that confident posture that really is observable to our audience members, whoever we're talking to, one person, a hundred people. So we've got to use our gestures. Number two is. We have to use more energy than we think is necessary because what we think is coming across as energized isn't. Mm. We have to be amplified versions of ourselves. If we're using our conversational volume or voice and we're standing in front of a group of people, that's not going to come across. And especially if we're trying to motivate or gain buy-in or have some influence over those that we're talking to, we have to show that. If we don't embody that, then they're not going to buy into that. So that that's a really critical point. You know, I, it's we I see this all the time, and where it's you know, um, if you're trying to gain buy into initiative, sound like you care about it. You know that you're not we're just not listening off all the reasons why this is going to be advantageous to you or your company or your you know your community, but really showing that in the way that we're delivering it and our voice tone, the level of energy we're mm-hmm. using, and our and our gestures.
0: Are there any uh, individuals whether they're, you know, elect anybody out in the public arena that you think is very good at public speaking? Uh, you know, right off the top of my head I'm thinking obviously he's passed, but Steve Jobs would always in, you know, I think half that company was built just based on his presentations, not even necessarily the content sometimes.
2: Yeah, and so what what do you uh, what do you admire about Steve Jobs and his presentation style? Just the fact
0: that he was able to, you know, like you said, he was passionate about what he was presenting and he always had a story. And obviously the product helps too, having an innovative product, but just he believed in in himself and he
2: believed in his company. Yeah. And that's, um, and what real, what you said about how he built the culture is because it's contagious. So when, when you see that type of energy, you see that per, the person with that type of passion, that's contagious to whoever is witnessing that. So that that was a huge part of his success was the contagiousness of his passion for the company, the purpose, and the products. Absolutely
1: quick game. We'll we'll do a quick lightning round. We'll ask you a couple ideas, questions, and then transition over onto some uh, talk on leadership. Sure. Well, I
3: said I had one other question. So, Absolutely. you know, for someone that is super uncomfortable in front of presenting in front of people, mm-hmm. um, public speaking, I mean, what are some easy things someone could do either before they go on stage or, you know, how how can they prepare to kind of overcome some
0: of those fears? Because I know- The right, jitters. Yeah, yeah, the jitters. How do you not be nervous? That was a question I had written down too. Yeah. If yeah. it's possible.
2: It is possible. So a lot of it is mindset. So when we're nervous, who do you think we're thinking about?
1: Ourselves, what we look totally. like, totally.
2: Right? Ourselves. Yeah. And who do you think uh, the audience is thinking about? Themselves. Themselves, totally. They're not thinking about you. Yeah. So- if we have to put ourselves in the mindset, when we're nervous, we're thinking about ourselves. Like, am I prepared? Like, how do I look? Are they going to like me? And what we, re- our mindset change and our mindset shift is, all right, what is the value that I'm giving to these people who are, who are taking the time here to come and listen? What value am I projecting? Number two is that people forget this. They've earned the right to be there. Okay, so they didn't just ask Mark to show up because nobody else was available. I mean, maybe. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> Probably picked the wrong person in this room. Yeah.
2: If you've been asked to go and talk about something or, you know, talk about, uh, you know, something that you have expertise in, it's because you you have earned the right to do that. And to remember that you have that credibility is something that people forget. Well, it's like you're thinking about themselves. Well, why, well, you know, why are you here? It's because you know your stuff. It's not because you don't know what you're talking about. So that increases confidence and mindset. And um, number three is when we are fearful, it also, not only is it thinking about ourselves, we are also not thinking about the end result, right? So every single time we get up in front of a group of people, there's a purpose and a result. So if we think about that purpose and result, we can be more focused on that than ourselves. So that's a, a huge, huge mindset change really helps with, that nervous energy. I mean, a certain degree of nervous energy is good because it gets our blood flowing and we feel excited and enthusiastic about being there. And that really helps.
3: And then one other question, how important is eye contact with either your audience or the person that's asking you a question?
2: Yeah, critical. So I think we probably, many of us might remember in elementary school when they would tell us, well, look above the people's heads Um, that is
1: stare at their forehead stare at their forehead that is such a myth picture people in their underwear yeah
2: (laughs) that's another one is that a real one no I
0: heard that yeah I thought it was naked either
2: one we have a PG podcast Ray you know that that, those are both total myths because I mean really how we connect really how we connect with an audience is using our eye contact so when we um, when we visually connect with the audience we create more of a conversational atmosphere it's more relatable and it builds trust
1: but shift the eye contact. Don't just stare at Ray the whole time. Oh, yeah. Because it's romantic. It's kind of awkward, right? After a while. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: it, it can be. I don't know. The
2: best practice is two seconds. Okay. So for if, we're, star- if seconds, we're staring them down, if we're staring them down, just yeah. watching them the exactly. entire I'm still staring at Ray. Then it becomes creepy. And I'm creeped out, Mark. Well, yeah. I
3: mean, I find it even more awkward when I'm talking to someone, especially one-on-one, and they don't look at
0: me at all, ever. <laughs> yeah, we were I, at the Builder's show, right, and I think we all guys, know who we were talking about. We, yeah.
2: I know. Let's go to a quick lightning round. <laughs>
1: First question for you for the lightning response is Trump's oration skills, politics completely aside.
2: Appropriate.
1: Appropriate. I think he's underrated. You think so? As an orator, I think he's one of the greatest orators of our time.
2: Mm. Maybe I'm filtering in some of my I, bias. Me too. I, the, yeah, <laughs> no,
1: I, me too, for sure.
2: <laughs> I know this is not a political show. But yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Next. Ad-libbing.
2: Fine. Ad-libbing <laughs> is fine as long as you can stay within the context of the topic and not uh, get too far into the weeds, getting off into a tangent. Totally fine. It also shows your flexibility and ability to adapt to the audience in that moment. Like Thank Yeah.
0: Toastmasters?
2: Toastmasters is terrific. So the one thing that I love about Toastmasters brings people together, the, together to practice the skill.
3: I actually don't even... What is a Toastmaster?
0: Uh, I actually don't even know if they have one here, but basically it's a club where you correct me if I'm wrong, you go and you basically practice speaking in front of a group of people.
2: Yeah. So it's good. It's good in the sense that you get a lot of practice and you have the opportunity to practice different formats, um, different situations, meaning, you know, you're here to motivate, you're here to inform, and you get some practice in doing that. One, The one thing that I would caution is that the feedback that you're getting And the coaching that you might be receiving is from other people who are still trying, who are really working on that skill. So you may not be getting the guidance that necessarily is pointing you in the right direction. But as a, as a form to practice, the more we practice, the better we get. Is
0: there one in Boston or around here? Absolutely. Yeah.
2: A lot of, um, we should go. There are a lot of Toastmasters in Boston and a lot of organizations also support internal Toastmasters groups within their companies.
1: Very last one here, um, handouts. Overrated, underrated, or appropriately rated for a presentation?
2: I would have to say it depends. So yeah, number one, we if we want to use a handout, we have to have a reason for it. Is there supplemental information in there that's valuable? If so, absolutely. But hand it out at the end so people aren't uh. going through it and reading it and asking you questions ahead of time from where you are in the presentation. Um, handouts are appropriate. Again, if you have more information you want to provide and you want them to take a look at it later, if it's a handout of, you know, of the information that you're presenting and it's something that, you know, is 10 or 15 minutes, 20 minutes, I don't see a purpose in it. So it's dependent on the situation.
1: Julian, this has been awesome on presentation skills. Excited to get into leadership. And I know we have, we're going to come out, we're going to uh, publish. Wow, my presentation skills. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Is that me? I was
0: staring at you for yeah, more than two yeah, seconds. Yeah, it's getting
1: awkward. Well, thank you again for this um, really great presentation skills episode. And i um, excited to get into some talk on leadership, which we'll put out next week. Thanks for having me. Awesome.